of a roundtable discussion. Um, so I'll be qu asking questions and I am, like I said, seeking your input. If you have questions that you would like to ask, feel free to add them in the chat. Um, you can also use the raise hand function and I'll try to get to questions that way as well. Um, but before we get into all of the good discussion, I'd like to do a quick round of introductions with our experts that we have on today. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over first to Jennifer. Jennifer, if you'd uh, like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, great. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm Jennifer Mansfield. I'm founder of JJ Mansfield. We're a small tax and accounting firm located in Arizona, uh, but we provide uh, service to clients throughout the U.S. Uh, focused on small businesses, and I like to say we provide services from soup to nuts. So everything from sales tax to payroll to monthly accounting to tax compliance and, and consulting. Jennifer, and I'll turn it over to Chris next. Hi, I'm Chris Fallon. I'm the founder of Numbers Matter. We're a full-service accounting firm located in Phoenix, Arizona. We um, specialize in complex accounting, uh, but we have clients that uh, range from small um, single-member LLCs to large e-commerce um, platforms out of California. Uh, we've got a really robust accounting staff and four CPAs, um, and uh, we really enjoy working uh, with small businesses. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. I'll turn it over to Natalie. Hi, everyone. I am Natalie Miller. I am the owner and founder of Grit and Lavender Financial Planning. I uh, specialize in working with small business owners, uh, specifically tied to the skilled trades or those those folks that are more hourly um, workers that have a decent income that um, need some help. And funny enough, I actually typically work with the female in the household. So if, uh, for example, a guy's working out in the skill in the skilled trades in the field, I'm usually working with the wives on the day-to-day -day management of the household. So here, um, thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be on this panel. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. And Tiffany. <laughs> Good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is Tiffany Visconner. I'm the founder of Implify Consulting, and we focus on specialty tax incentive work. Um, my deep dive specialty is the research and development tax credit space um, from a federal and a state perspective. And I really dive in and thrive in the innovation conversations that we have about what business owners are doing to stay relevant within their industries. Uh, the area, other areas of specialty that I dive into are cost segregation work and uh, the more recent employee retention tax credit work as well. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, and so, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of our session, I know we've had a couple more people um, jumping on. Um, please make sure to add questions into the chat. Make sure your chat's set to everyone so everyone can see responses and see those questions. Um, I'll also be taking questions if you have, if you are, it's easier for you to use the raise hand function. I can allow you to unmute yourself and ask questions directly to our panel. Um, but let's go ahead and dive in. And I think one of the first things that came to mind when we're talking about the upcoming tax season is okay, what has changed? What has changed in the tax landscape that you as a small business owner needs to know about? I know over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of, um, you know, things happening. We had, you know, back in 2020, we had the PPP loans and the forgiveness and kind of the trickle down effects of what those funding mechanisms of small businesses were. And so, and we've also had some other just tax law changes that have been happening over the year, the last couple of years. So I'd like to ask this question to you, Jennifer, can you give us a little bit of insights over what are the key tax changes that small business owners need to know about? 
Awesome. Thanks, Chelsea. So first of all, I want to start off um, just to let everybody know um, there's 132 days until April 15th, 2024. And I believe, Tiffany, you mentioned 26 days until December 31st. So uh, there's a short time frame if you do need to make decisions for 2023 to get them made and then uh, looking forward to the filing deadline. So I, I want to talk about just give you just a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, there was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was passed in December of 2017, and that was a massive piece of leg tax legislation. And most of it took effect as of January 1, 2018. And with a lot of the tax uh, acts that have been passed in recent times, it's going to sunset, which means some of those changes that came about First of all, they've been they've been ramping up since 2018, and then they're going to sunset at the end of 2016. So that's really important to keep in mind because our current rate structure, depreciation, uh, Tiffany's going to talk about R&D in Section 174. Those are all been um, impacted by this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was back in 2017. So you really got to not only think about 2023, but you also have to think about all, all the way fast forward to 2026, because quite frankly, there's a gridlock in Congress right now, and there hasn't been a major piece of tax legislation passed this year, right? Any changes that came about were already kind of in process um, due to the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and or there's been regulatory or court um, uh, things that have happened. So there's been no major, and you know we still are hoping and waiting for some tax corrections or tax changes or modifications, but it's been, we're, we're just kind of, we're all sitting here with question marks as to when those are gonna happen. Um, so uh, with that, uh, and just looking at that, then the tax law changes for 2023, bonus depreciation, it was 100%. It's being ratcheted down. So for 2023, it's at 80%. And 2024, it's going to go down to 60%. So please keep that in mind. Um, you do, we're still able to use a Section 179 expense deduction, uh, which kind of been sitting on the back burner. It's always, it's been there for quite a while. Um, but with 100% bonus um, that was preferable over our Section 179 expense deduction. So you still have that if you want to take 100% if you have taxable income. Um, there's the new energy credits or the energy credits that kind of um, amped up in 2023. Please keep them in mind for, for the electric vehicles. And there's also residential energy credits that are available um, that, are, that are enhanced in 2023. So those... Um, well, the other thing that, that a lot of people have been up in arms about is uh, the 1099-K reporting. And 1099-Ks are the tax forms that businesses received for those payments that have been processed through a merchant processor like Square or Stripe um, or PayPal. And, and, and the threshold has been 20,000 or 200 transactions, which is pretty high. So a lot of people could fly underneath that radar, right? And never get a 1099K for those transactions that were under the radar. And the IRS, or there's been um, uh, legislation to reduce that threshold down to $600, which a lot of people just like 
they were like mortified because $600 and 20,000, there's a big difference. So that was supposed to be implemented in 2023. We've just been notified that they're gonna delay that until 2024. And they're looking at changing the threshold to 5,000 instead of 600. So that, thank goodness, um, we don't have to worry about because quite frankly, administratively, that would be really hard to do. Um, the other thing I really have to mention is something known as beneficial ownership information reporting. All entities, most entities, LLCs, corporations, partnerships are going to be subject to this new requirement as of January 1, 2024. And it's not through Treasury, it's not through the IRS, but through another um, federal agency, um, and I'm just trying to find the real name. I have it here. The Financial Crimes Enforcement Next Network, which stands for, or it, the short is FinCEN. Okay, I know it sounds really scary, and um, and and quite frankly, this is. So all entities are going to be required to file information with FinCEN, and uh, the form's not even out yet. They're trying to get the forms out, and the and you're going to be able to do this all online. And they say it should be simple, but you and I both know that getting the information together to be able to file this report is going to be cumbersome. Um, and so you're going to need to uh, file your beneficial ownership information with FinCEN during 2024 for all entities that were formed prior to January 1, 2024. So you have an entire year. And I know there's platforms out there that are getting dialed up to help with this. And, but I also know a lot of CPA firms are, are taking their hands off of this. They don't want to deal with it. There is a, a pretty significant fine if you do not file and report your ownership information. So if it's a single member LLC that owns a rental property all the way up you know, to a multi-member that is running a multi-million dollar business, it doesn't matter. So if you own an interest in an LLC, you have an LLC, uh, even if it's just sitting there doing nothing, uh, you're still gonna be subject to this reporting requirement. And I think the, fee, uh, the fines are like $10,000. It's, it's pretty significant. Um, so that's really important for everyone to know. There's a lot of information out there um, uh, because folks have been talking about it for a while. And I know there's some several vendors um, that are out uh, looking to dial up platforms for you to be able to use their services to get this filed. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, there's, yeah, so that's that's pretty much all I have right now in terms, yeah, that's all I have right now in terms of tax changes. Not a lot of tax legislation. Most of the changes are regulatory or case law, or they've always been in the works, but the implementation or the effective date has been delayed. Awesome. Um, so I see Lorraine's question, and I'd like to maybe dive into this briefly just for a moment before we get on to our next question. Uh, panel discussion question, but she said, why exactly do they want us to file with this agency and for what purpose? And do we know? Could you maybe dive into a little bit of like, what's the why behind this? I'm, I'm almost positive is they want to know who owns all of these entities that are formed in the U.S. They want to know if it's a U.S. resident or, or citizen or if it's a foreign actor. Right. So there could be all kinds of different people. It's relatively easy to form an entity in the United States. 
And so I think they're really trying to drill down to figure out who owns what here in the US. And I, I think that's the real, the real deal. Um, because it was kind of a loophole for people to get in, form an entity, uh, get an employer ID number and rock and roll. Uh, so I think I think they're just trying to close that loophole. It's just cumbersome for everybody, right? We're all that's typically what happens with these new rules. Everybody gets drug into it, um, including any potential bad actor. I think I would add just one thing to that, which is if you if you're a single member LLC or you you own an LLC or a corporation, the corporation commission in the state in which it's formed is going to list your um, contact information primarily. But if we look at partnerships as an example, there's no record of who owns a partnership. So while this is an onerous um, task, uh, I'd see that they want to have more transparency about who owns one to prevent money laundering. That's why it's actually in FinCEN. FinCEN does, you know, anti-money laundering programs. Right, and, and 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 actually, in Arizona, if you own less than twenty percent in an LLC, you don't have to be listed on the ACC. So um, it's only for those folks who own more than more than twenty percent that are listed. So there's an opportunity for others to be a member and not be listed on any any state site. I would also just say one like note of caution related to this is um, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure we all do. Uh, if you have a desire to set up an entity, <laughs> maybe have this conversation early because if you do set it up past January 1st, um, the 90 day window is something in place of needing to figure out how to file and uh, keep the administrative compliance in order for this. If you already have stuff in existence, basically, um, you have a little bit more time to, to figure out the compliance strategy for it as well. All right. And, and thank, yeah, thank you for that, Tiffany. You have 90 days if the entity is formed after January 1st, 2024 to file with FinCEN. And that's great to know, especially if there's any entrepreneurs on with our call today that are like, oh, I'm going to start this next other business or this next entity. Like, what do I need to do? Well, there you go. There's your hot tip for today. Um, right. Because if you, if you formed it in December, you have until, you know, the end of 2024 to comply. Yeah. Great, great points. Um, real quick, uh, I just wanted to pass it over to Natalie. Natalie, are there anything on in the personal tax side around changes or anything that your clients are working on that you've seen them keeping mindful of as they approach this tax season? Yeah, you know, there's a number of um, things that are changing on the personal side. And I know we're focusing more on like businesses in this discussion, but there are a couple of things I want you to be aware of. You know, after a couple of years of higher inflation, it's really important that you guys go out and you review your own insurance coverages. You want to make sure that, you know, if your home value has gone up, that you have proper coverage for your dwelling coverage. You know, make sure that you have replacement cost on your insurance. For example, if you bought a house years ago and you bought it for $200,000 and now in today's market, now it's worth four hundred dollars or $500,000, your insurance policy 
policy may not have kept pace with the valuation of your home. So if you look at your policy and you see, well, my home's only valued at, you know, my dwelling coverage on my, my homeowner's policy is only 300,000, you know, you may find that you're short on coverage should you sustain a loss. It could be a house fire, could be a partial loss. There's something in there called the co-insurance. And so you wanna make sure that you're accounting for that. So highly recommend reviewing all of your insurance policies to make sure that you're properly covered. You know, we do a lot of things to save us money in taxes and to save us money and make us money in investments. Um, but, you know, protecting your, your risk on the personal side is a big way to make sure that you're not, you know, adding unnecessary exposure to some of these liabilities. So talk to your insurance professional, make sure you've got proper coverage. You know, just that's one, one aspect. So that's one thing that, you know, as a financial planner, we're diving into to make sure we're covering those things. Um, and then, you know, on the personal side, there's a number of changes that are happening on beneficiaries and inherited monies. So whether it's an inherited IRA, if it's coming from a grandparent or if it's coming from a parent, you want to make sure that you're working with a professional to fully understand what that looks like. You know, sometimes if you're, there's a lot of different terms being thrown around as called a designated beneficiary. Um, are, is, it a, is it a spouse that's inheriting the money? Or, and do you have to pull it out over 10 years or not? Do you have to pull out required minimum distributions or not? So highly recommend that if you inherit some funds, if you have a child that's inheriting funds from a parent, um, make sure you work with a professional on those things. There's a lot of changes and it gets really convoluted. It's kind of like, here's the law, here's the caveat, and then here's a caveat to the caveat to the caveat. And so work with a professional on those things to help give you some guidance on that as well. Um, and then uh, there's a number of other things that I'm sure I'll add in as we kind of go, but I'll I'll kick it back to you, Chelsea. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. And always good to be mindful. Like I said, you know, at, when we were in kind of our green room space ahead of this webinar, you know, I was talking about how we as business owners, we're entrepreneurs. Yes, we have our business and we have to be mindful about business taxes, but it's also really important to make sure your house like your house is really organized on your personal side, not just your business side with all the stuff, but also your personal side. So really appreciate you bringing that insight today. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more. Um, Jennifer kind of started to allude to it, but let's talk a little bit more about tax credits and deductions. So Tiffany, I'm going to send this over to you first to kind of talk through some of the tax credits and tax credit changes maybe of that that have been happening. I know there have been some things happening over the course of this year, especially around R&D. Um, so I'm just going to send it over your way. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I will do my very best to summarize in a way that is helpful. I get very excitable about these topics. So um, first of all, anybody on the phone, if you don't mind just throwing, if you have your industry or business name or something that indicates a little bit about um, who I'm talking to from a business owner standpoint, um, I just poked through and saw some food. So thanks for making me hungry. Um, cheese waffles, Holly, thank you. I think I know what I'm, I'm gonna look for, but um, okay. So. From uh, my perspective, tax credits, especially ones that are inherent parts of the tax code at this point, are just great ways to create a return on investment and in things that you're doing within your business. 
Um, one of the first things I'm going to talk about is the R&D tax credit. That's something that's been in the tax code since the 80s, so quite some time. Um, but really, the whole premise of that is to be able to incentivize the work that you're already doing to stay relevant within your industry and within your business when you invest in funds to create new or improved products, processes, software, techniques, things that you're doing in order to make sure you make your workflow more effective, um, to create more quality products. Um, basically, it's things that you would focus on as a business owner and likely take for granted because that's why you went into business is to make things better and cooler. Um, so the R&D credit, there hasn't been any changes to the credit um, over, over uh, the past few years. The last big change was in 2016. Um, there are some tax law changes that impact some of the expenses that go into driving a credit, which is what Jennifer was alluding to. Um, I try not to board people with uh, tax code numbers, but it's important to, to kind of put these things on your radar. Um, anybody who is uh, generating software, creating new products, uh, doing things that haven't claimed the R&D credit yet or have claimed it in the past, um, basically there's a, a rule to classify expenses in a way that requires amortization. And this is something that went into the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that Jennifer brought up. Um, but didn't go into play until 2022. Um, for a lot of folks that this wasn't on their radar, it was a big surprise because if you can imagine usually being able to deduct 100% uh, of what an, a certain expense was, now suddenly you can only deduct 10% of that, it creates a really big impact on your bottom line. Um, so the good news is tax credit wise, it helps to offset liability. Bad news is the way that the actual tax code is, is now revised um, is creating a lot of taxable income for folks that may not even be able to qualify for the tax credit itself. Um, so thank you, you guys threw stuff in there. So on the R&D side, um, there's basically not an industry restriction. So if you are doing things within your business to make things better, that's usually the conversation that I start with. The other side is uh, with technology ever increasing, with AI being a big buzz, with people trying to figure out how to incorporate all this crazy stuff in the way that they do business, I really enjoy having those conversations to figure out what is in your pipeline. What is it that you wanna create out of your business? What is it that you're trying to serve people with and how do you make that better? because those innovations within small business is really what drives our entire economy. And then if you're able to identify that work upfront in a proactive way and get a return on what you're spending to make that happen, then that just feeds the engine more to help create a curve that you can get in front of. Um, and thank you so much everybody for throwing stuff in there. I can't read fast enough and my multitasking sucks, but you, you listened and I'm looking. Um, so apparel, custom apparel, I saw one in there, um, developing new designs, using new products, um, sustainability is a huge thing when you're trying to uh, work in basically any type of industry and refocusing your efforts on something that's more environmentally friendly. Um, on the food side, there's a lot of things that go into formulating new recipes. There's also, you know, allergens that get taken into place. Um, for food stability, shelf life, um, and things that you would usually focus on to create uh, new recipes, new uh, new food products as well. Um, so that's uh, on the R&D side, that's a quick encapsulation, but I would say this is the place where you're able to identify work that you're doing anyway, get a return on investment, and focus on what that looks like for an overall strategy to make sure that you can fund things that you're trying to do. 
Um, the other area that I'll poke into is the employee retention tax credits for two reasons. Um, one, if anybody has claimed those in the past and went through a firm that they might have questions about, um, this is an area that the IRS is scrutinizing heavily right now, and they actually dialed back the processing of any new claims for this last quarter of 2023, because they know that a lot of those uh, fraudulent claims went through from some of the pop-up shops or people that were taking advantage of taxpayers to get them to claim a full amount, which maybe was not uh, appropriately claimed. Um, if you did take the ERC through your business, it might be a good idea just to review the documentation and the stuff that you had claimed. If you did not, it's still a valid credit. You would just want to make sure that you dive into that with someone who has your back and is making sure that they're going through the proper qualification standards um, because it is a situation now that's hot, a hot topic. Um, the reason I bring it up also is because this is gonna start to phase out. This is not a permanent part of the tax code. This was one of those tax credits that came out of a lot of the COVID relief uh, bills that, that were processed. So this is something that will start to phase out at the beginning of next year and then be fully phased out uh, within a couple of years. So it is a short, term credit, but a very good one if you do actually qualify. Um, and then the, the other area that I will kind of make a connection as Jennifer was talking about the, the filing requirements, I do anticipate this is going to be another situation where you're probably going to have a lot of pop-up shops wanting to run those administrative filings for the, the beneficial interest. So just as a warning and as a preemptive uh, critical thinking exercise, make sure that you're identifying and going through your CPA, your trusted advisors, to make sure you're picking the correct folks to be able to process and uh, file. There's a lot of penalties that are going to be involved if they're not done correctly. And I think that is gonna be some of the fear mongering that goes on to um, advertise this as a product or as a, as a transaction. So. Um, the other one quick section I'd like to talk through is the cost segregation. Um, and this is just something if you are planning on buying or have purchased uh, relatively recently a new building for your business, if you have a rental property, um, if you've made improvements to something that you own, a cost segregation study is also a wonderful thing to bring up and talk through with your advisors to see if it makes sense to do some advanced depreciation work to get more benefit in current year. There is an entire strategy involved with it uh, because it's not uh, increasing your depreciation, just changing the timing in which you claim the depreciation deductions. So that is something that is a great uh, strategy play as well to talk through. Awesome. And thank you. I know um, there were some questions going in the chat and I was seeing the back and forth. Chris and Jennifer, thank you for, for taking on those questions and answering them as well. Um, before I dive into the next question, I do have, it looks like um, I have a couple questions coming up in chat and also um, Rena has her hand raised. So I'm going to allow, uh, I think it's Rena, or please correct me if it's Rena when, you, when I unmute you, um, but go ahead and ask your question. And she just put her hand down, maybe not. Well, feel free to add, add that question in the chat if you still have it, uh, Rena, Rena. Uh, okay, the other question I have, um, 
Someone asked, we are considering, I think this is Mike, we are considering bringing on our first employee, but not sure if we can categorize them as employee or pay them a 1099. They are part-time and paid per loan they process. This is a great question. I think this is something, you know, a lot of small business owners struggle when they're first starting to grow their business is that, that critical question. Are they employee or are they a 1099? And how does that all, how, how does that work? So um, I'll go ahead and I don't know who wants to take this one, but feel free to unmute and, and dive in. I'll oh, dive I think, in. I, okay, I, I jumped the gun and I put to Michael the great link at the IRS website, which goes over it. Um, but the three types of um, things that are the most important to look at are what's called the common law rules. Um, so number one is, does the company control or have the right to control what the worker um, does and how the worker does his or her job? Two, are the business aspects of the worker's job controlled by the payer? Three, are there written contracts or employee-type benefits? Will the relationship continue? And is the work performed a key aspect to the business? So depending on the answer to those rules, there's a really scope of control that can determine whether or not it's an employee or a 1099. Um, I think what the problem is, is a lot of small business owners think, well, I'm going to pay by 1099 because then I don't have to worry about paying the payroll taxes or pay payroll. If you are caught, <laughs> then what the IRS will do is um, uh, calculate the, the uh, payroll taxes that you should have owed and um, penalties and interest associated with that. And it's extremely expensive. Um, I had a client a few years ago who, who I had had for many years and I had no idea that instead of paying overtime, she was paying um, cash straight time thinking, well, we're not deducting the taxes. It took one complaint to wage an hour and the whole thing unraveled and she paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Luckily, the IRS did not um, get wind of it because she would have had to pay payroll tax penalties and interest as well. So it is a really important question. Um, and it's something that's really important for small businesses to get right because the penalties for getting it wrong can be severe. Um, and Mike, I just saw your hand went down. So I'm thinking your question got answered. Did have a, a never mind. I'm going to allow you to unmute yourself and ask your question. Find you. There you are. There you go. Should be able to talk now, Mike, if you want to unmute yourself. Thanks, Chelsea. And thanks, everybody, for uh, contributing to that answer. <clears throat> I'd like to just throw in one other thought is that I'm never sure because we're a growing business, it's, you know, our, our business cash flow or sales ebb and flow. And so uh, there are some times that we need a little help to pay somebody. And, and then there we could go months without um, having enough business to bring somebody on board to help process a loan. So that's where I think I'm a little bit stuck. Um, I, I certainly am all for paying payroll taxes, um, but uh, just the, the amount of work that I have for somebody ebbs and flows. So not sure if that's a 1099 consideration or if it's a, an employee consideration. And I think as we grow, we'll have more work and then be able to bring somebody on on full time. But as we're starting off, it's um, it's kind of a hit or miss with uh, helping uh, bring somebody on. Uh, a harsh answer is that the IRS isn't going to care about your cash flow. <laughs> so that, okay. that, that will not be a component in the analysis whatsoever. So, yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's okay. tough when it's somebody seasonal and they don't, you know, they show up periodically or infrequently. Um, so I would, I invite you to take a look at that guide to see if there's that um, Chris posted the IRS guide, um, just to see if there's any way you can fit those people into a contractor kind of category. So, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and part of it is, do they have other, and one of the other considerations is, do they have another full-time gig somewhere, right? Do they, or you're just, or do they do the same types of things for you that they do for other businesses? They're more of a small business than, than a, than an employee. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. And with this individual, uh, she's retired and then looking just to pick up some additional work. And um, so, yes, maybe that's the option uh, to go as, uh, as to pay her as if she were a contractor. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I was, I was inviting you to take a look to see if there's a way that you could classify her as a contractor, taking into account all the factors the IRS considers. So there's more than the three. Um, so, I, and it, it requires a greater analysis. Oh. Okay, thank you. Thank you everybody for your input on that question. Great question. Thank you, Mike. Um, and we this, also had, this, oh, yeah, this ahead, question Jen. pops up all the time and it's one of the most difficult ones for us to answer. Yeah, oh. I think it's one of those things too. I think sometimes in this context, it's kind of one of those kind of need to schedule a follow-up call with someone and maybe dive into it a little bit more. Um, I know, Chris, you've been taking on some of the, qu the questions from um, Lorene as well with the 1099 question around like, if you are a business owner and you work with a contractor, like how, to, like, does it, yeah, I'm not going to go into it. You guys can all look in the chat for it, but I feel like that one's being answered. So I'm going to skip over that one for now. Um, did have another question though. And I think this one is kind of interesting. How does the 1099 or the contract work apply to foreign contractors? And I don't know if anyone feels comfortable or wants to tackle that type of question or. So there's, um, for if you're paying a foreign person, there's a different, so for, for U.S. citizens, right, for people who are here in the U.S. who are a, a resident of the U.S., uh, you collect their information via Form W-9, right? And on that, they give you their name, their address, their social security number, if it's just an individual, or their tax ID number, if it's an entity, they tell you what type of entity, and then they sign it and date it. And that's the information that you use. That's the information you collect to prepare the 1099. If you're paying a foreign person, that information is on a W8BEN, uh, right? So it's a whole different form that they need to fill out. So whenever you pay a vendor, right, you need to collect that information so that you have it available to know whether or not you need to issue them a, w, a, a, a 1099. So on the W-8-BEN, that's going to, that's the form that you need to give them and they need to give it back to you completed that tells them that they're a foreign entity and then they're not subject to 1099 reporting because they're not subject to U.S. tax. So that's the whole, that's what we're trying to boil down to is um, who is subject to U.S. tax. Perfect. Thank you. That's really, I know that sometimes, you know, we see these, some small business owners use like platforms like Upwork or Fiverr, but you might find someone you really like and you want to work with them off the platform, but they're located someplace else. So yeah, that's a very, that's really helpful to understand. Um, I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit now because we are starting to come up on time. And I want to talk about record keeping and kind of 
prepping on the organizational side of getting your taxes ready? And I, I, I just want to put this question in the chat. Um, put a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you've already started working on pulling all your documents together for filing for 2023. I see. Oh, I got a thumbs up. I'm impressed. Seeing some thumbs up. If thumbs down if you're, you haven't gotten started yet, thumbs up if you have. I, I should have known someone, anyone who signs up for a tax webinar is probably on it and ready to get going. So I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm seeing lots of thumbs up. That's wonderful to see. Um, so I want to pose this question um, more to, to Natalie and to Chris. What kind of strategies do you have or would you recommend for people to get going as they're prepping for this tax season? So I'll start. So first and foremost, I am a huge fan of having separate bank accounts for, for business expenses and personal expenses and having a separate credit card, right? For cash flow purposes, it's much easier to put all of your everyday expenses for your business on a business credit card and pay that credit card off every single month. So first, start with that. That will help keep a clear-cut delineation between what's a business expense and what's a personal expense. And it's actually in, in function. You know, if you have a business credit card and a personal credit card in your wallet, it's really easy when you're purchasing something to hand them your business credit card when it's a business expense. Or like when you're at the grocery store and some of the stuff that you're purchasing is a business expense and some is personal, just put the little like, you know, separator between the transactions and have them run a separate transaction for your business expenses. Then you have a separate receipt with all business expenses that are in there and you can keep good records that way. Then when you look at your income and your expenses at the end of the year and you're going back through all your accounts and your statements and your credit card statements, you can actually see where exactly your expenses are going. Then the other side to that is use an accounting software that automatically links up with that bank account because then it'll help start to memorize some of those transactions and help you categorize it on a regular basis. That does not mean that you're hands off entirely and you don't actually like go back and review the categories that the, the computer kind of thought that they were in because sometimes the computer gets it wrong, but it will make it faster for you and more efficient for you. So big fan of doing that. Um, then the other side of it is, you know, while you're looking at your deductions and everything that you're taking, be familiar with why you're taking the deductions. I'm not a fan of you just handing all of your expenses over to your CPA and then just saying, I don't know why they took this deduction. You are the one that's responsible for everything that's in your tax return. So you need to make sure that you know exactly what deductions are being taken and why they're being taken. Because if it comes down to an audit at some point, you have to be the one that sits in front of the auditor and can say, I understand these deductions that I took and here's my business justification for it, right? So you want to be comfortable enough to do that. I'm also a big fan of looking at the IRS website, there's a publication called 535 that goes through all the business deductions. Not like it's a lot of fun reading, but definitely read it. Be familiar with those business expenses. Um, and then also have a good system to organize your receipts. You know, when I go out to uh, a business meeting and it's at a restaurant, I write on the top of the receipt 
who I met with, why it was a business expense and what we were talking about. And I do that. And then I put it in my file. That way, if the auditor comes to me and says, well, you went out to lunch this day. How do we just know it wasn't like a frilly, like go out for lunch with your friends? Well, here's why. Here's who I was with. Here's what we talked about. Here's why it's a business expense. So just taking some of those regular habits will really help you when it comes to tax time. And at the end of the year, when you are going through all those receipts, know what those expenses are for. So have a physical system for your, your information that's coming through. Have a automated system like with the bookkeeping and the bank account linking. And also work with the professionals to make sure you're taking the deductions and you're understanding why you're taking the deductions. So hopefully that helps. And Chris, I'll let you take it over from there. That was a lot of great information, Natalie. I agree with all that. Um, if you don't own a business, which I think most of the people here do, but if you don't, I've got good news for you. If you're uh, married, the um, standard deduction uh, for this year is 27700 So it's unlikely you need to keep anything at all, right? Uh, which is great. Um, somewhat related to that is that we've had a lot of clients that were using Mint to track their personal spending, which is always a great idea, but Mint is closing down as of January 1st. You could use Quicken. Uh, there's another app called Empower um, that do the same thing. Natalie, do you have an app that you work with? Yeah, it's one of them that I use with my financial planning clients. It's called Monarch Money. And actually they have a discount for any Mint user. I don't have it, but if you search Monarch Money, um, it actually, you can utilize that app with a financial professional or an accountant as well. And I also like that you can actually set goals and kind of budget track and do a little more than just track your expenses, but it works a really similarly to Mint. So sorry. Yeah. I happen to have a, another alternative that's not well known in, in the industry. Um, they, they're financial planner, created like a team of financial planners that created that software to specifically help clients with these budgeting um, aspects. So there you go. Uh, but if you are a small business owner, it's important to, I think, have your accounting done on a, on a regular basis. We prefer monthly, but at least quarterly. Um, we still have some clients, uh, tax clients that are using spreadsheets, which is better than just giving us a box of loose receipts at the end of the year. Uh, but when you have um, prompt accounting, you can make better decisions regarding your business, cash flow, um, that type of thing. Um, I unfortunately see a lot of clients who I say do bank, bank balance decision making, where they're deciding business decisions based how much money that they have in the bank. And that's a terrible way to make um, small business decisions. So we do encourage people to do accounting. Um, QuickBooks Online is the gorilla in the room these days, but it is fairly decent at what it does well. What it doesn't do well is terrible, um, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to understand. Um, so when you have that up-to-date information, that's really great. As far as receipts and that type of thing is concerned, um, if you are using QuickBooks Online, you'll note that your bank or credit card feed data is coming in automatically and it'll say, you know, staples, you know, $16.02. If you're audited by the IRS, that is not sufficient in audit. You need to have the receipt for $16.02. So if you have QuickBooks, you can um, put the app on your phone. You can capture the receipt that way. Um, there's also some other products like HubDoc that make it really easy to capture um, that information and it saves it into your accounting program, whether that's Zero or QuickBooks as a PDF. The IRS does not require you to keep paper. They do require something like a PDF of the receipt. 
So those are some great um, choices. If you're the type of um, business owner who's just, you know, accumulating your uh, receipts in a bin at the end of the year, um, we would encourage you to, to step it up for 2024. Awesome. Go ahead, Natalie. I have one more. Make sure that you back up your records somehow. Back them up. Make sure you've got it either on a cloud backup, you know, even old school onto a CD-ROM still works, right? Like it's not ideal, but do something to make sure your records are backed up. So just have a process in place. Maybe it's quarterly, monthly, however you want to do it, but back up your records as well. Um, I had a couple other questions, and actually, this is one of the questions that I was kind of putting off and didn't ask. Oh, Jennifer, do you want to go ahead and chime in before I dive into the next question? Yeah, as far as documentation, one thing that COVID and this pandemic taught me is as small business owners, we really have to be on top of our documentation game. And we don't know what's going to happen next in the world. So I invite you to make sure that you have all of your documents organized, hopefully saved and scanned somewhere. But anything related to your organization, formation, uh, your payroll records, make sure you have them saved and ready, financials, tax returns, just have all of that information like organized and saved somewhere in case you ever need to be able to pull it for whatever is may happen in the future. So I, I just find it a really good um, practice just to really, and, and so then if something does come along, you know, which we have no idea, that you're prepared and you're ready and it's less um, anxiety producing. Definitely, all great reminders. Um, and I just wanna call out like, there are a couple of tools. If you go to the Hub Perks page that are specifically around, you know, helping you keep track of finances or, or financially related, um, go check that out. Um, it's myhub.com forward slash perks. Um, we have perks with Roll by ADP, which helps part like helps you process payroll and do that kind of thing at a small business scale. Also, Gusto is another payroll. Uh, platform that you can get a perk from us with. And then last but not least um, is Brex. So for those of you that aren't familiar with Brex, um, it's a credit card banking um, platform that's really great for small business. And honestly, as someone who uses it day to day, I love the ease of use for like capturing receipts and keeping track of all that. So just check those out. And I know there were some other recommendations dropped in the chat. So keep an eye out on those things because we all love a good tool, and if you can use it effectively, it can help you be more efficient and stay organized and on top of things. I mean, why wouldn't you do it, right? That's a no-brainer. Okay, so coming back to some of our que other question um, that I had in the chat, and this was from Allison, um, and I actually had this tucked in one of my as my one of my potential questions is around, uh, you know, filing quarterly and estimated taxes versus filing annually. Um, and his question is specifically as, as an LLC, should you file quarterly or should you file annually? Um, and I'm, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain this is probably going to be a nuanced answer, but I'd love to pose that question for to you guys as a panel um, on, you know, how can small business owners be managing their tax payments? And is there a benefit like a more general benefit to paying an estimated tax versus an annual tax. Or paying estimate versus annual. Anyone want to stab at that? Jennifer, I see the mic coming down, so I'm going to toss it to you first. <laughs> so um, I love LLCs. They're amazing. It's the most flexible entity out there for tax purposes. And when a client tells me they have an LLC, that just tells me how the legal entity was formed, but it doesn't tell me how it's taxed. And so you really got to dive in and understand 
is it a single member LLC, so it's disregarded, right? And it's it's filed on a 1040 as a Schedule C. Um, is it, um, did you make an S election? And now it's an S corporation because the answers are totally different. And then a multi-member LLC, if you have two, two or more members, it's a partnership. Again, the, the answers are different. So it's really, I, I highly recommend that anybody who has an LLC understand uh, what, what they are taxed as for, for tax purposes, because that's going to help you understand your, what, if you need to make estimated tax payments, or if you need to be paying yourself a salary, or if you're a partnership, or you could even be a corporation. So it's really important to understand that. And I'm assuming this person asked if it was an LLC taxed as an, a Schedule C, a sole proprietor, a single member LLC. And so Natalie, I'm going to throw it over to you because I'm I'm sure you know yeah, you've got that covered. Well, so if they're taxed as a pass-through entity, like an LLC, a single member LLC, and let's say you are subject to um, estimated taxes. So there's a couple of things here. So one, there's something called a safe harbor. And that safe harbor means that you have to pay in, if I remember correctly, it's either 90% of your taxes from the year prior or 100% of this year for some income earners. And then if you're at the higher income earner, you might have to put in at least 110% of your tax liability from this last year. So just know that there are some limits and that the IRS may assess you a penalty uh, if you don't put in enough money throughout the year. So that's gonna feed into your estimated payments. Now, I highly recommend doing this with a professional because you don't wanna mess it up, but there is a little bit of a workaround with estimated payments. So let's say here we are, we're in December and you haven't made any estimated payments throughout the year. Now, know that when you make estimated payments, those taxes are counted and due as of the date of the estimated payment. But what isn't due or what's kind of spread throughout the year are your withholdings, your salary deferrals, your IRA. If you happen to take uh, money out of an IRA, you can have those withholdings um, taken and it's like they're spread out throughout the whole year. So if you're in a pinch, you don't necessarily want to pay interest on these um, items. I, I, I'm not sure exactly, but I had heard through the grapevine that interest payments are um, dancing around about 8% on the IRS, that's a significant amount of money um, if you owe estimated payments. So you can actually pull out of salary deferrals, like hold more taxes out of your last year on paycheck. Or if you're doing an IRA withdrawal, you can withhold more taxes out of that IRA withdrawal. And those are going to count like you had made the payments throughout the year versus owing the quarterly taxes in like, you know, uh, in the springtime or in the summer. So that's one little tip. I Like I said, uh, work with a professional to make sure that you're doing that correctly, that you're estimating the taxes correctly, and that you're not messing it up, right? If you, if this isn't your specialty or if this isn't something you know what you're doing, but definitely take those things into consideration. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. And please, Jennifer, tell me if I'm wrong on any of that. No, you're you're absolutely correct. And and so what happens for a lot of our uh, uh, you know um, people out there that are single member LLCs. Right. And and they're not taxed as a partnership or as an S corporation or a corporation there. All of that is subject to estimated tax withholding unless you not have another full time gig somewhere and you're getting W-2 income because you're right, Natalie, all of that is subject is treated as paid pro rata. So you really got to think about like if all of your income is coming from your LLC, then you have to pay in estimated tax payments. There's. Uh, unless you have other types of income that has withholding related to it. So really be thoughtful and mindful about where your income is coming from in those withholding um, 
opportunities. So. And I'll just mention, Allison put that it's him and his wife and they do a scheduled K-1. So there might be some more, this might be worth maybe a phone call um, yeah. with one of these professionals, Allison, to dive in yeah. a little deeper. And so a Schedule K-1 tells me it could be a partnership or an S-corporation, and they're totally taxed differently. So you've really got to, um, yeah, so you have to know, you know, is it a 1065 K-1 or 1120 S-K-1? So it's the, the, yeah, the analysis continues. Awesome. Um, so, and I also had this kind of in my questions too, in my bank of questions, we didn't get quite to it. And I'm going to wrap up with this question. Then I'm going to um, ask you to all give us your one number one piece of tax advice for this tax season. So start thinking about it as I get into this before I get into that question. Um, but the last one I got in the chat was um, we were talking about, we've been really talking a lot about LLCs. Um, are there any areas for like, you know, incorporate like other incorporations or entities um, to be mindful of? And are they, it sounds like there's obviously different implications depending on how you're formed and your entity structure. So um, does anyone want to take a stab at that? Tiffany, I don't know if you want to take a stab at that one. <laughs> uh, sorry, Chelsea, just benefits related to different types of filing structures or yeah, kind of Anything around like picking a sp specific type of yes. business entity, how does that impact like tax filing, anything we should really be aware of? Yeah, so I think um, as it, it kind of came up in our conversations uh, talking about specific tax items, um, for me, I can't overemphasize the importance of planning what it is you want your business to look like and the reasons why you went into business in the first place. And unfortunately or fortunately, every intentional decision related to your entity structuring, your tax structure, your organizational structure is going to give you pros and cons or options to do certain things and options that you won't be able to access if you're structured in a certain way. Um, I know on my side of the fence, when I deal with credit specifically, if you're structured as a single member LLC, a disregarded entity versus a partnership versus an S-corp versus a C-corp, it's going to give a different um, landscape of how you're able to pull money from that particular business or that entity, how you can structure the payments that go to yourself. For example, if you're a Schedule C or a partnership, the flow through income is subject to self-employment tax. So that is one of the things that you want to factor in depending on what your goals are for the business. Do you want to bring in outside investors? Is this something that you want to hold as a lifestyle business? At some point in time, do you want to exit your business? Are you looking for huge growth on the front end and then you want to be able to sell your business later? All of those things are going to help to determine what entity structure is right for you and at what point conversions are probably going to be a good idea as well. Um, so this is a huge can of worms, but I would say that just overarchingly, it needs to align with what you want to be able to do within your business. I think self-employment tax is something to factor in just in general because it's treated differently when you have an S-corp or something taxed as an S-corp versus the partnership or flow through income that would come from a Schedule C. Um, but then how you structure things internally are also different. As a partner, you can't take a wage. Um, as an S-corp shareholder, you can take a wage. Uh, so those are the things that you want to make sure that you're documenting um, your intentions for your business and choosing appropriately with the appropriate advice from your advisors. 
I'm sure there's a lot of other things to mention, but <laughs> we can go on and on about probably a lot of the, the, these could be complete separate webinars if we wanted to. Um, so uh, I'm going to wrap us up because I know we are really nearing time and I really appreciate everyone for hanging on this call today and hearing all of this great information for asking your great, great questions um, as well in the chat and just over uh, over the mics. Um, so my question that I had posed to you before we, we dove into that last one, I hope you've been thinking about noodle outing. What is the one piece of advice you'd give to business owners um, as they prep for tax season 2023? Um, Natalie, I'm seeing a smiling face. So I'm going to turn it over to you first and then I'll ask, I'll ping pong you around know, the rest of the panel. It's interesting because there's so much that we weren't able to cover today of like things that are like tips and tricks and things to pay attention to. You know, do you have a low income tax year? Do you have a high income tax year? What are some ad tax advantages or strategies that we can take advantage of this year or next year? Those kind of things. So my, my best piece of advice, work with your professionals, find people that are in your, in your, um, corner that are helping you that are advocating for you not just somebody that calls and you sit down with once a year work with a financial planner or a tax professional that is in the trenches with you that is planning for the future things as well as looking backward don't just look at the backward items after taxes have been filed there's not a whole lot you can change it kind of is what it is work with a professional going forward uh, and be forward looking and, and making those adjustments throughout the year financial planners are great tax certain tax professionals are great to do that um, but definitely lean on your professionals. That's probably my best piece of advice and separate your business and personal stuff. Don't mix it because it just gets convoluted. That one I hear time and time again, and so very true. And is one of those things that just do it, just, just, just do it, just get it done. Um, okay. I'm going to turn it over to Chris next. What's your one piece of advice? Uh, we are huge believers that if you own a business, um, your ideal tax situation can spring from funding your retirement through your business as a business expense. So if you're not doing that and you're interested in doing that, it's something we recommend for all business owners. Love that. Yeah. Sometimes we think as a business owner, we're just so narrowly minded and focusing on the business that we forget that the business needs to make us money and it is our plan and it is our retirement. It, like it's what we're banking on. So make those moves and think through that strategy sooner rather than later. Um, all right, Jennifer, what's your tip? I really, I mean, we, we, we do a lot of monthly accounting for small business clients, but I always, always invite them. Even if you have a professional uh, doing your books or, or taking care of things, you, it is your responsibility. And I think Natalie, you mentioned this, it is your responsibility to take a look at those financials, make sure you understand them, make sure they're correct and, and understand what the bottom line is and how it's going to impact your taxes. So I highly suggest working with them at, as somebody who's, who can put together a tax projection for you so that you know well in advance of April 15th, what that number is going to be. So preparedness and really taking ownership of your financial information, um, I, I think is, is critical, critical. And, and I mean, we try to do our best, but still it's, it's those, we, we find that those businesses that take ownership of their information and work with us um, have better results. All right, Tiffany, when I pass it over <laughs> okay. to you to wrap us up. Yeah, so I would say just overarchingly, remember that you're designing your business and your personal life and they are intrinsically related. So the one thing that I noticed that gets, um, and I could probably speak for everybody on the call, like proactivity is a major love language, right? 
So being able to take time uh, within the year as busy entrepreneurs, as busy business owners, we don't always take the time to plan and your planning on what you want to create is going to dictate all of the options that you should follow. I would say that the, the worst thing to do is to guide by tax deductions. You want to guide by what it is you want to do, and then you want to find the correct way to both fund and direct those efforts. So take time to plan, make sure that you guys are identifying what it is that you want to be able to create. And then as everybody said, take responsibility for your tax life and make sure that you're getting the right advisors around you to help guide you to where you want to go as well. Amazing. All great advice and really great information that shared, was shared today. We are right at the end of our, our time today. We are recording this session. It will be added into the Hub Learning Library and also sent out to those of you that registered for the session. So keep an eye on your inbox. This will be sent to you as a recording so you can come back to it and revisit some of these answers and these questions that were posed. I really do encourage you to reach out to your network. Um, these folks are all wonderful and there is definitely a, a bigger network too of folks out there that can support your business so don't hesitate to look for to seek out those that help and and find a reliable person to help you make these crucial decisions in your business so thank you everyone thank you thank you jennifer chris natalie and tiffany you guys were amazing and thank you everyone for taking the time on your tuesday to dive into tax planning have a great one everyone bye